enthused for these. Hello and welcome to At The... My mic decided to unplug itself. I was too enthusiastic. Yeah. Uh, Hello, ho-ho. I'm your host, Matt. I'm Eric. And we are going to be diving into the fact that it is December and Christmas is upon us, but it is not the kind of Christmas episode you think. That will come a little bit later when we look at more traditional Christmas films. But tonight we are looking at some dark Christmas films because the big new release this week was Violent Night. We will be looking Mm -hmm. at Violent Night. We will also be looking at a couple of movies that are out in theaters right now that are also a little bit darker, unless, you know, you're into murder and can. Cannibalism. Uh, and then Eric and I will be sharing some dark Christmas movies that we are fans of. But before we dive in, Eric, how was your week? Oh my gosh. Uh, so one of the movies we're going to talk about, I'll tell you which one when we get there, I saw on Tuesday. And it has been a long week since Tuesday. Oh my gosh. It feels like a year ago. Um, you know, like voting and uh, having to get a car repaired and a third birthday for someone and huge thing after huge thing anyways uh but the there 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 was a lot of nice chances to escape with this stuff i kind of into the darker side of things when it comes to movies so this is my escapist entertainment so i really appreciated the choices uh i forgot you guys have a runoff collection huh what a, what a swell time. Because <laughs> when you said voting, I'm like, wait, what month are we in? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, we are going to dive in first and look at the week's new release, which is Violent Night. This one finds Santa, played by David Harbour. He's not having the greatest night, and he drops in to deliver some presents and ends up caught in a terrorist kidnapping situation. No, we did not make that up. Uh, But that is basically the premise and the setup for this new movie. And Eric, I will let you go first. Give me your thoughts on Violent Night. I'm still laughing. I saw it today. I'm still laughing (laughs) at it just as, as like a concept. Like they, it was like a, an hour and 40 minute Saturday night live sketch. And like, if you, did you ever see his take on Oscar, the grouch, they riffed on Joker and did that whole thing. Okay. Viewers go look that up on YouTube. Um, my goodness. Like it's, I, I mean, straight up exactly what it looks like and delivers. I felt like I was sort of checking boxes but it was more like a fun version of like, I guess playing bingo is some people think that's work, but it was, it was just like, yes, he did this. Yes, he did this. Yes, he did this. The whole movie, David Harbour clearly won. If you go and you don't like it too bad, David Harbour won. Like he got to do all this awesome stuff. Um, I love the mythology they gave to Santa. I love the, uh, um, I liked some of the family characters. 
Um, you know, there I have a pick later that's coming up that is a little bit about a dysfunctional family. And so we don't really spend too much time on that. We spend time the most on um, the parents of uh, that's the the girl the actress name is escaping me always oh you're talking about the daughter yes yeah i have to um her character's name is gertrude gertrude yes well gertrude still believes in santa and um basically too and what it's a good thing too yeah the the actress is leah brady Leah Brady. Oh, she was great. She was charming. She was awesome. Uh, John Leguizamo, we got a, a healthy dose of him this week. Um, I, I thought he was effective. I thought he was fine. I, I didn't I didn't end up like loving to hate the villain or anything like that. Um, Alex Hassel plays her father, yep. uh, Gertrude's father. And the most recent thing, the reason I knew him is because he was in the live action Cowboy Bebop series. And that was a bizarre casting choice, I think, at the time, personally. But so here, him playing a very down-to-earth, grounded human with those very distinct features, he stuck out to me. I'm like, this guy. But um, uh, Beverly, Beverly D'Angelo is the mom. I'm sitting here waiting on a Chevy Chase cameo that I know is not going to happen because people have their feelings about Chevy Chase. But her and getting because to play, he doesn't do anything anymore, I don't think. I don't think so either, but but just just that little link there of that Christmas tradition where she's just over it and burned out and has this whole cool backstory. Like I, I kind of was hoping there would be a little bit more of a payoff to it. Basically, I'm still trying to process it. I think you can tell, but Santa sticks a grenade onto somebody and he's like, wait, I have to watch this. Blows him up and goes, oh, holy shit. And that is everything i could have possibly wanted from the movie so right there so i gave it a thumb up i'm glad that you referenced uh saturday night live sketch because what is the most common complaint about saturday night live sketches that they are a little bit longer than they should be and this movie is only an hour and 42 minutes but i think if it was a tight 80 minute movie it probably would have been better I there were the things you touched on are things I enjoyed. I liked David Harbour. I like the opening when he's, you know, in a bar in England and then he takes off. And just about the time that the the barkeeper is realizing, oh, my God, that was the real Santa. He yaks over the side and vomits all over. And that's kind of your your opening uh, foray here. The family was interesting. Eddie Patterson, who plays the older daughter, is playing a character that's almost exactly the same as what she plays in The Righteous Gemstones. In fact, they had like a Righteous Gemstones thing going with with her and her, you know, man boyfriend played by Kim Giganet. Um, You know, and I liked Beverly D'Angelo, but it was to me, it was a little too long. I wanted a little more humor when they when they injected the humor it worked but I've heard it compared a lot to Die Hard. That's that's always a tough you know I get the basic premise it's Christmas Eve you have kind of a lone every man who's going against a group of terrorists that are holding a bunch of hostages to pull a robbery. I get that. What makes Die Hard work is the real blend of humor 
and kind of the real sharp writing. And that's where, to me, this one fell down a little bit. At times, I thought it was a little dry. They went away from the humor. <clears throat> and they kind of went a little over the top with some of the, the death sequences. I could have done without so much of when he's in the barn there other people may feel differently but it, it you know by then i'd been watching it for a while and i was trying to wait to get to a resolution and some stuff that that's me i didn't dislike it but i just didn't love it and that's why i kind of gave it a thumbs neutral i ended up giving it two and a half stars you know i didn't hate it but i it missed a little i'll give you that having to watch the the rest of like the the 45 minutes between the opening and when things really get moving, you really could have trimmed things down. And I just, it's interesting. You picked out that barn sequence. Cause to me, the fun was almost like saying as a reverse slasher with a punch and a joke and a little splatter effect, like a firework going off. And that didn't really gel with that. That mm -hmm. felt more like a, I don't know. Well, and I, I didn't mind a little bit of that, you know, with him embracing his hammer. But then it's like when the when the snow people first pull up, it looks like there's like eight or nine of them. But in that one sequence, he dispatches like 50 of them. And that's where you almost he had gone from like a regular dude who was was wrestling with things like his first two kills, you know, when he has to take guys out and he's getting roughed up and he has to sell himself up and you know, he's a little to that was almost like Thor was out there with his hammer. And I don't mind a little bit of that. It just at that point in time, I was like, we, I'm ready to, to move on. And I think part of that is you're right that aside from Leah Brady's Trudy, the family was almost universally personalityless and or unlikable or a combination of both like the. The internet streaming kid. I mean, I, I don't want to watch the Kardashians on a regular basis, so I don't need you to throw a Kardashian into this movie to pop up. But the only funny thing that that kid had was a post-credit sequence. You didn't see it. You didn't stay for the credit. As in mid-credits, he has a uh, where he's standing over the bodies and <laughs> saying something. He's like, "That's why you don't be, you don't want to be on the naughty list or something like that." That was the only the only funny part that the actor dude was was weird. And I could you know there were some things I think that were supposed to be plot twists, like what was in the letter uh, that was attached to his mom's present. I had a pretty good idea of of what that was going to be um i didn't dis i didn't dislike it i just i think they could have crafted you know we've seen some of these movies now coming in like 79 89 minutes that are a tight crisp you know cutting out some of the bloat a movie like this shouldn't be over an hour and a half and when yeah. you're like an hour and 45 minutes and you're tacking in post credit sequences you know you could have reined it back just a little bit and i could have used more maybe john leguizamo he had some you know they kind of sideline him for portions of that yeah. movie or give him like weird weird stuff and i liked um you know the girl with the short hair and the the other guy who were like starting to freak out that santa might be real and that sort of semi home alone sequence only like home alone gone really wrong yeah i thought that you know, that part worked. There are parts that work really well. They're just not enough of it for me. I, I have another rant I could go on about the editing, but I'm kind of excited to talk about the next one. 
And that is the lighthearted film Bones and All about two young lovers who come together to find themselves, who share the uh, the simple trait that they are both uh, cannibals that uh, have an overwhelming desire to eat human flesh. You know, this is the movie that you're looking for. I watched it the day before Thanksgiving. Um, it was a choice. Uh, my wife, right before my wife came to, to pick me up for us to go to our pre-Thanksgiving Red Robin date. Um, it was a lot. It was, uh, you know, the sound effects, everything are a lot. But uh, in this one, Taylor Taylor Russell um, plays a girl who we kind of get introduced to. She, you know, she moves around a lot with her father. And you're not sure why she gets invited to go to this, uh, this sleepover. And she sneaks out and goes to it. And you're like, well, why, why can't she go to the sleepover? And she's laying there with another girl who's kind of pouring her heart out and gives her a hand to hold. And all of a sudden, she just eats the girl's middle finger. And... The sound effects were on point. If this film doesn't get a sound editing nomination, uh, I don't know why we even have the sound editing nomination. So that's when you find out uh, she's just had this problem since she was a baby. And there are apparently a group of other people. Mark Rylance pops up as a really old cannibal who is incredibly, incredibly creepy. Michael Stuhlbarg park, park, picks up at, at one point in time, who's another older cannibal who's incredibly creepy but she also stumbles across Tim timothy chalamet who is another guy who is also a cannibal i you know i did not know there were this many cannibals i'm definitely thinking about life a lot differently but this one based on a novel um there are a lot of interesting things here luca guadino is the director uh, i thought he does a nice job of telling this story and they do a really nice job of making you invest in these characters and what they're going through despite some deeply deeply unsettling subject matter it is the beauty of the shots that they did there are some some incredible shots out there just some beautifully artistic shots in this film and i really really enjoyed uh russell's performance about timothy chalamet it was probably one of my favorite performances of his which was interesting and mark rylance is incredibly creepy um the movie is not going to be for everyone uh we we told you what the subject matter is it's definitely unsettling but i i'm giving this one a thumbs up okay um i was guessing this is the one you saw on tuesday this is the one i saw on tuesday uh you are not to put it very lightly, as big of a fan of 2018 Suspiria as I am. Um, I actually haven't seen it. What? I know. I just, I never saw it when it, can, it came out. And I always look at it like, oh, I need to watch this. But you know how my life is. There's oh something well, always jumps in this way. Luca Guadagnino also directed that. And hit this movie looks like it takes place in that same world. And I haven't seen Call Me By Your Name yet, but if that is a sign that this is sort of his authorial stamp, his production design, or his team looks like this, whoever's responsible for making this world feel like something that you can touch, they deserve a lot of credit. You get way too uncomfortably close. Sometimes I feel like it's playing with other senses of mine. Like, you you know, I it, I don't want this on my skin. I, this is a need to take a shower movie, 100%. Um, but like you said, Mark Rylance and Michael Stuhlbarg as his his part, 
the two of them sold everything about the movie that couldn't be sold by the two leads. And it really makes you feel like, yeah, there could be like a horrible fate and future for these people. And then it's way more complicated with Mark Rylance. I just, I, I was floored by this. The only thing is once again, the length, I don't like having to sit that long in these feelings of discomfort dealing with all of this. And Luca Guadagnino likes his length in his movies. It's, it's sort of a thing where you're either really into it. And so you get to eat more of what you like. Whoops. That was the wrong <laughs> to use for this movie. Nah, um, you know, it fits. And, um, or it's something where if you feel uncomfortable, you're that's going to, to ramp you up in a way that more than building tension is building genuine discomfort. Like, okay, I have to see Mark Rylan splayed out like, you know, in underwear eating a person. You know, I don't want to put anyone off the movie because it's fantastic and you absolutely should I, see it. I did think they did a, a pretty good job of, it's not that you don't see anything, but for the most part, doing it with sound effects and kind right. of like looking at the wall and just hearing it. But yep. hearing it was enough for me. They they deliver what you're looking at, but they leave so much to your imagination. I think you almost get the best of both worlds for people who like to to have their scares be kept, you know, discreet and, and wild in their minds. Um, Timothy Chalamet is fantastic. I, I, he is definitely like another Jake Gyllenhaal or Ryan Gosling or Leonardo DiCaprio to me. I think he's a star. And I think that he is coming up in a way that if I was a kid, I would be sort of scoffing at like, Oh, the, the boy that all the girls are into and all this kind of stuff, but I'm an adult and um he's excellent and the lead taylor russell she was phenomenal and i really liked seeing it through her particular point of view i was gonna ask you did you watch the netflix uh, remake of lost in space no no oh because that's the only thing i'd ever seen her in and so i was kind of excited okay well the both of them i believed their romance that is hard to do you know, you can, you can buy into a world. I like some rom-coms and you can like buy into the writing of it. But I believed these two characters uh, needing to lean on one another and caring about one another in, in a way. Because they don't start together because they're like attracted to one another. They start together for a complicated mix of reasons. And their relationship stays complicated. And just... Like you said, it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I just, I can't give it a full two thumbs up just because with the length of it, I, I just find myself like, like, when are we going to do something? And like, I wonder if that's going to be served better when you already know the resolution of things on a rewatch, but one thumb up. I mean, it feels like it's the year for incredibly long movies. Wakanda Forever is almost three hours. I just watched Bardo the other day. It's 160 minutes. I mean, there's a couple of these that are over uh, Babylon's three hours long. I mean, people are just. I am. I am. I am a person who is dreading Avatar: Way of the Water. I haven't seen the runtime for that. I'm afraid it's over that it's three gonna... hours. Oh, well, that, I'm that fairly tracks. certain. Yeah. Well, guess what? You're going to get one every two years for the foreseeable future for reasons <laughs> that surpass understanding. But now, that'll that'll be a two weeks from now. Sadness. Yeah. That's hey. You know. Hey. 
So I don't know. But um, yeah, just the one thumb up. Well, if that wasn't unsettling enough for you, you'll certainly enjoy our next one, which it was a big week for us going to theater movies that are a little bit darker. Next is The Menu. Uh, This one finds Anya Taylor-Joy and Nicholas Holt among a group of uh, affluent, mostly affluent people. Uh, You're not sure about Anya Taylor-Joy's connection until into the movie, and that's part of it. If you've seen the trailer, you know that's part of the deal. They get to go to this exclusive private island where only 12 people at a cost of $12.50 per person, and that's $1,250 per person, get to dine at this exclusive dining experience on an island where the employees actually all live there, as does the chef, played by Ray Fiennes. And it starts out as a kind of weird and intense food movie and quickly morphs into something else. This is probably one of the more unconventional horror films of the year. Eric, what did you think of the menu? I think it was trying to be a satire and it turned into a dark comedy. But I loved that dark comedy. Oh my gosh. The whole thing is framed in ways that I don't even want to spoil for anybody. If I would, I, I strongly encourage people to watch the trailer and see what you feel. Nicholas Holt, Beast from X-Men, and probably in a lot more things that people would be like, you know, like, hey, he's really great in this, but he's a fantastic actor anyways. And he's great here. Ray Fiennes is spectacular, specifically in his role. There are a lot of those sort of quirky uh isolation you know i have my passion and i live on an island so i'm out of touch kind of characters and that's what you're supposed to i think assume he is and the relationship that develops that brings something at him between him and anya taylor joy is fantastic anya taylor joy is just getting better and better at playing the type of character who is sort of pulled into an unfamiliar world and is just over it immediately she she is someone who is like he she has already done and seen whatever is 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 happening she's she's over the the pretentiousness of it and you know she plays these call it like you see it characters i'm trying to remember specifics um i just i saw her in the northman i've seen her in um new mutants another another witch and like she has a type she she has two types. She's either this might be the most shocked. conventional film she's ever been in. It might be. That's that's another thing. But she rocks it. Like she, I, I just oh, and uh, she very 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 like her character from last night in Soho. That's what it was for me. Like ready to take on the underworld that's supposed to be surprising her kind of thing. And I just there's a key moment that flipped this for me where everything I thought worked. And it's, it's this, this sort of bitter rant about when someone does something passionate for art, but a certain aspect of culture tears away at it for their own benefit. And it's this sort of thing where it's like, uh, let's say someone is really passionate about running a restaurant with their life. And there's nothing wrong technically with the food that they're serving and the business that they're doing. But one particularly scathing reviewer can make a bunch of foodie groupies that follow them condemn this place. And all of a sudden someone who's living their dream can't anymore because it was popular to crowd that sort of thing. 
because it's not a real engagement with the art the person is making. It's a it's a almost baseless flooding of opinions and actions to take on something without giving it individual personal consideration. And that's me getting way too hung up on one person in the movie's opinion, where it's clearly there's supposed to be multiple viewpoints and this sort of reflection on the relationship between criticism and art. But that little piece of information for me is just when I was just like, yeah, genius. Like, I, I loved it. And I, that combined with how the movie ends, you, I, I just... It's just perfect. It's unwritten in that way that like what happens happens through people's actions instead of what they're talking about. And that is what I think all movies should aspire to be sometimes. So all movies sometimes you like that? I had my cake and ate it too. Two thumbs. You know, there's we we've talked a little bit about films that maybe run a little bit too long. Uh, and that aren't crisply written. And I think that's a difference for me with Menu versus some of the other films, uh, even the two other films we're talking about tonight. That was a criticism I had for Violent Night. I do share some of your criticism, Bones and all, at times feels a little bit long because you have some of these pencil shots. The Menu, by contrast, is very crisp, and it's very crisply written, and it moves along. I love the twists that you get throughout the film that are somewhat unexpected you know um i loved janet mctear and paul adelstein uh, as the critics who are there kind of critiquing everything and they're back and forth they had some of the humorous moments john lezano pops up again to, uh, is very good in this part nicholas holt's character he's super annoying all the way through and there is a moment where that flips and you realize what a piece of work he is. And I don't want to give it away, but that was one of the most incredible scenes to me. And I thought Anya Taylor-Joy, the way she played that was spectacular. There's also a scene near the end of the movie where she stands up and calls something out to, to Ray Fine's character that she knew would reach him that I thought was a really beautiful turning point. And then the, the ending was so strangely beautiful um, and unexpected. It just, the, the way the film moves through everything, you're right that it's got some comedic, it's, it's somewhat of a horror. I would say, you know, honestly, when we're looking at end of the year, I'm going to say Bones and All in the Menu are both movies that I would consider in the horror genre. And that combined with Nope and uh, Barbarian, we have gotten some really top shelf, very creative, very different kind of horror movies. It has been a really robust year for that genre in a way that we haven't seen to me in a long time. Um, so that's been kind of fun. I really liked Ray Fiennes. He's still in my top five for best actor right now. Um, going through, I, I really Ray Fiennes for this. Yeah. Um, because I, I thought he was simply incredible. And some of his speeches, he and Anya Taylor joy were great. Some great supporting work, some interesting twists, um, but he really, sold the movie um i loved what he did in that role so i am giving him i'm giving it also two thumbs up same as you uh, what 
Hey, I it's currently sitting in my it's it's in my top fifteen of the year. I'm pretty sure up up in my. I don't. I, I, oh oh, it does have two. Okay, sorry. I thought on the show sheet it said one. Sorry. Oh, I think I not messed that there's that anything up. ever that happened went, behind the scenes. We're totally. I, I went back and fixed it. I I messed that up when I was going through because I was looking at where. Um, if you follow me on Letterboxd, I have my uh, top twenty uh, currently up there, and it's it's seated up there um, pretty high. Nice. All right. Well, if that uh, if that wasn't enough for you, Eric and I didn't want to leave you without making uh, some of our selections for some interesting uh, alternative Christmas films, some dark Christmas films that are already out that you can go to. And Eric, I'm going to let you take the lead first with your selection, which is the 2015 masterpiece, Krampus. I like that you said masterpiece. I think Michael Doherty is an underrated director. He's really only made Trick or Treat, this, and Godzilla King of the Monsters. I'm not sure what all other work he's done. I actually on think movies. Godzilla King of the Monsters is the best of that franchise. I'm so glad you said that because it's the most consistently bottom rated one. But because of a specific stretch it, in it, because of one specific stretch in it where they homage the original theme and go down to like meet him and you get um ken watanabe's performance when he has to go face him that is the most genuine that's like the in that whole little franchise they make that's the one genuine thing outside of i kind of like godzilla 2014 uh that like really hit me but anyways his his work with monsters and his work with this stuff is unmatched krampus is about the legend of what happens when a child gives up their belief in Santa and is naughty. And uh, it this movie opens with a beautiful Black Friday montage. And I love that we're talking about Krampus right now in limbo, where you know it's like, ding, Thanksgiving's over, and this race of like humanity ripping itself apart starts. And... We go up and we meet this family that has all of their issues with one another. And yet it's really, it's not such a pessimistic movie that they're just constantly harping on why the family is opposed. It is about take a family that has the same kind of divides you might have in your family and see what happens when they're pitted against a, for a unifying, you know, enemy. And the grandmother in particular um her i'm gonna make sure her name is out there because please yes krista statler she's amazing giving her her breakdown of what happened when she was younger and her face at the end when you find out what happens i, I just absolutely love this um Red Letter Media, if you follow that YouTube account, once talked about this movie, and they talk about how spectacular the sound design is, and how a lot of the creepiness of this movie comes from the howling wind, the snow, sleigh bells used for all the wrong reasons. The we we talked a little bit in Bones and All about this, but the creature designs and things. I mean, they use the most obviously CG gingerbread men to do these wacky sequences, but they feel a little more like they have teeth to them, a little more realistic than they otherwise would, I think, because of the sound design. And that's just that's just really digging into the horror that works in this movie. 
And there's a balance that horror movies sometimes have to strike between horrific and scary. And I think this movie keeps things light enough that you care when you have horrific loss and you're unprepared for when something scares you. And I just, I love it. And so I'm, I did not get to watch the extended cut yet, but I have it saved for a movie night with friends and we're going to turn off all the lights and we're going to crank the volume as high as we can. And I can't wait for that night. Yeah. I'm glad you touched on the, the black Friday sequence, because that was one thing that stuck out to me when I saw it. Um, first it kind of sets the tone that what you're looking at is the people that don't really understand the spirit of christmas but then there's also interesting it's interesting you talk about michael doherty's homage in another movie because there was something that struck me when i was watching rewatching krampus i uh one of my favorite probably my favorite pure christmas movie is christmas vacation something i'll talk about in a couple of weeks but there's a moment in that movie where all the descent, the ascent, the uh, extended family is coming in and you get these shots of the Griswold family and what they're doing. And you hear the doorbell ring and you see the looks on their face. They have a sequence like that in Krampus when you can hear the, um, is it a Humvee that he has? I think it was a, like a Humvee Hummer car pulling in and everything's about to, to knock off and they're going to all of the family members and you see their reaction and how they're like, oh no, it's starting. I thought those little touches kind of draw it into the fraternity of Christmas movies. You're right about the, the sound effects. They do a very good job with the creepy monsters. It has an incredible cast. And you're talking about Tony Collette, Adam Scott, Allison Tolman, David Cochner, among others. And, you know, it's, it takes a lot of fun twists uh, the way it works. And, and I just thought it turned out really well. So was a good choice for you my uh my choice uh for an unconventional christmas film is uh, you know it fits you went with kind of the violent half of violent night and i went with the dark comedy half of violent night and that is bad santa a 2003 film uh it was produced by the cohen brothers and it stars billy bob thornton as a mall santa who has really gone wrong he, along with his partner Tony Cox, who is uh, who is a little plays uh, is an elf in their Santa experience, they go to a different mall every year, and they've done it for about seven years. And they do a season as Santa and an elf in order to case the store to eventually rob it uh, on Christmas Eve. Um, this one also features Lauren Graham during the middle height of her Lorelai Gilmore days in a role that's nothing like. Lorelai Gilmore. Uh, you have John Ritter in which I think was one of his last film roles because the films actually got a dedication to him at the end. And you have Bernie Mac, who's actually passed away since then in key roles too. But Billy Bob's uh, Santa, he ends up coming across this kind of lonely outcast little boy who uh, comes from a rough home life where Cloris Leachman is his aunt absentee grandma who's taking care of him and that kid ends up kind of reaching this guy in a different way it is incredibly profane uh it is incredibly shocking you get scenes of billy bob dressed as santa beating the crap out of a bully um you know whizzing himself as he's sitting in the chair he's he's like the worst emulation of santa but there is something about it that it struck me as funny when I saw it. It was released during a year that was probably a historic year for Christmas films. In the span of a single month, we got Elf, 
Love Actually and Bad Santa all released there in 2003. And I think all of them, you know, we're almost coming up to the 20 year mark. All of them continue to be held up, uh, but probably not a conventional choice. It's not the one that I put on if I'm looking for a sweet holiday experience, but sometimes it's good for a little bit of a darker take and a laugh. I mean, it's a dark Christmas film, and that's what you want in your dark Christmas films episode. So, people, back off of Matt. No, I'm sorry. We love you all. But, um, yeah, this was a staple of Comedy Central uh, in the 2000s to play. Uh, and I, so I've seen this movie chopped up into pieces over my life. I've seen the ending, the middle part a couple of times, then the beginning once, even though I wasn't sure it was the beginning, but now I know, you know, and yeah, the, the, la this is th like three years prior to super bad, right? Where you had, you, you're still in the thick of Harold and Kumar, like stoner comedy, shock value, sort of dark comedies like that. And but this, I I think because of Billy Bob Thornton sticks out from all of that. I think if you had cast someone who was conventionally like a, a comedian in this role, I think the movie might not have worked as well as it does. But it, it does. Um, from what I remember, I, I would always intentionally be like, oh, bad Santa. Oh, well, I'm, I'm not really supposed to be watching this, but I'm going to make sure to set some time aside to do it. And so it's sort of thing where I can I can tell from experience that if there are three movies sitting on a shelf and I don't know what they are, Bad Santa would be the one that stuck out to me as being a, just a small head above the pack. And it does give you just enough of that feeling of that that el uh, elf gives you where you're in like a mall and it's sort of real world Christmas is going on if you take away the fantastical elements and stuff. And uh, yeah, I love the the beating santa beating up the kid the way they play in that movie off of santa claus is doing it and what that means like for the ending with the kid and whatnot like it was surprisingly touching i think it works really well so yeah yeah and, and you know like the ending sequence when you see him r rushing to the kid's house with the with the pink elephant and trying to give him a present and the way this kid kind of you know, he's a character that really doesn't care about anyone or anything, including himself. And somehow through all this, this super earnest and super weird kid and and even Lauren Graham's strange character, you know, the way that all comes together and then, and they end up becoming the surrogate family. I will say, though, it was never a movie that I thought needed a sequel. And I hold firm on that after having seen bad santa 2 it is not a film that needed a sequel but you know what if these two dark christmas film selections were not enough for you they are part of a list that i am putting out on thursday for my binge watch column i have five different selections including one with ben affleck and charlie's theron one that's an office Christmas party gone wrong, and I don't remember what the fifth one is off the top of my head, and that's why you got to go check it out on the website. But if dark Christmas films aren't your thing, we are going to go definitely more conventional next week as we dive into a return of Little Ralphie, as well as a couple of new cinematic takes on the classic A Christmas Carol. Plus, Eric and I will be giving you some of our favorite existing takes on A Christmas Carol, a movie that has probably been made like 95 times at this point in time. And if you're seeing this on YouTube later, make sure you leave a comment and tell us your favorite dark Christmas film.
Yeah, there are there are so many great ones uh, out there, and so many you know, as people like to point out. Well, I, yes, I was going to say what we what would should truly probably be considered the original slasher film, Black Christmas. But for now, that'll do it for us. Uh, hopefully, you've already had dinner. Um, otherwise, I'll understand if you're skipping it tonight. But until then, uh, we'll see you at the movies.